In episode 10, Aaron Gennetti brings to a close the discussion on his book, How to Survive an Active Killer. He talks about the importance of first aid training in an active shooter event and the reason why he decided to write the book. Welcome to the One War Rep Podcast, where we take you beyond the barbell. And now for your host, Mo Dingo. Cool. Uh, and it's one of the sections that's in the book, because I know we're, we're talking about the book. This is all in the book. We talk about the psychology of it. We talk about the physical fighting nature of it. We talk about using firearms, right? So you're talking about the CCW stuff. There's a whole fucking like seven chapters in there where I talk about you know, the training you're doing at CCW is bullshit. You're not learning anything, but the medical stuff's in there. John Grabo, uh, who is, is one of my head instructors. He runs my self-defense program. Uh, he's EMS, he's a firefighter. And, uh, he built our program, which is immediate casualty care. How do I plug gunshot wounds? How do I put on tourniquets? Like all of this stuff is doable, right? And we just, we assume that we have to be a doctor to put on a tourniquet. No, no it's a, literally it's a My 13 year old of, daughter knows how to put yeah. on a tourniquet. Yeah. And um, don't even get me started on, we can't teach kids this shit, right? Who are the best learners, by the way? Yeah. And it's, it's simple, very, very simple things that people could do. And they just don't. And look, it's, it's not, that's not beating up. And again, here's that toe in that line. It's not beating people up. This is what we've been told forever that it's a doctor's job to save me, that it's EMS's job to come get me, that it's law enforcement's job to come save me. And it's not. EMS is there to support you, to get you to a hospital. That is it. That's their only fucking job. When they show up, they deal with what's happened on scene. I would rather be in a better shape when they show up. Then they can get me and give me provided extra care, and then they can get me to a hospital. I don't get saved until I'm at a hospital. You got a gunshot wound. You need surgeons in a sterile environment and things like that. And that's still questionable, right? I mean, considering yeah, yeah. your location. Yeah, bad things can happen. But what can I do right now in this moment to make the situation better and buy time, and which is exactly the, the term that I – yeah, is exactly the term I use in the book. You're just buying time. So if I get shot, let's say I get shot in the leg and you know I have a tourniquet. Maybe a tourniquet buys me five hours, right, from bleeding out. It's a pretty bad bleed. I put a tourniquet on, buys me five hours. Oh, I don't have a tourniquet. Oh, okay. I'm going to pack and wrap. Maybe pack and wrap buys me two hours. Or right? I have a belt. Right. Yeah. Or maybe I'm on a fucking, you know, nudist colony and there's nothing around and I have nothing. I can't pack and wrap or anything. Direct pressure might buy me 30 minutes. But it doesn't mean because you don't have a tourniquet, you're fucked. Buy 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And if you can buy two hours with a pack and wrap, then pack and wrap. If you can buy five hours with a tourniquet, then use a tourniquet. But there's always something you can do to better the situation. Now, of course, there are, you know, when EMS shows on scene, the first person that goes out is going to essentially, on a mass casualty event, mind you, uh, is essentially going to tag bodies, right? Mm -hmm. Yellow, red, black. They're okay. They'll be fine. Give them a little bit. Red, we need to help them right now. Black, they're fucked. We can't get to them right yeah. now, right? And it has to be that way because if I have 30 bodies, imagine Pulse. Imagine Pulse nightclub with the amount of casualties that were in such a small facility at the same time. That and it was at night. Yeah. You know. And now you go into that event and you want to help people as efficiently as possible. The first group through the door needs to be tagging bodies mm -hmm. so that the next group through the door knows who to go to first and then they can start to transition that way. And, but we can make that a little bit better. If you listen, Impulse is, is a, is a very, very, there was a lot of lessons learned from Pulse. There's a great, uh, TV series right now on Showtime. Uh, it's like active shooter America under yep. fire. 
And the Pulse nightclub one, I, I, I highly watch all of them. They're all fantastic. But that Pulse nightclub one really highlights the psychology that we've been taught. And we've been taught what is the national call to arms and the national response to a school shooter? Like 911? No. What are we talking what about? Is, what is policy? School shooter comes into the building. What's everybody in the building doing? Oh, the, the, doors. the basic three, fucking lockdown. The three, That's all two, they're taught. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're taught to lock down. Well, think about it. So what we're teaching people is go somewhere, hide, and wait for help. Yeah. What the fuck happened in Pulse Nightclub? A bunch of people ran into a fucking bathroom mm-hmm. and waited for help. And it got him killed. Yeah. It fucking got him killed. There's, there's, a, there's a quote, and it's one of the quotes I put in the book. There were 15 or 20 of us in a bathroom stall when he entered. His gun jammed, so he dropped the rifle, pulled out a handgun, and shot us with a handgun. There's so much to learn from that fucking quote. Right. It's At a minimum, you're saying it was 15 on one, mm-hmm. right? Pretty good fucking odds. I don't yeah. care if you have a gun or not. 15 on one. You're saying his gun jammed, and you noticed his gun jammed. Yeah, that, that's an opportunity. Right. And then you're saying that he had a transition to another weapon. So what happened and where that went wrong was not that they didn't do things to the best that they thought. It's that they were fucking taught to go in there and hide and wait for help. They weren't taught that if you're going to go into the bathroom, and especially if there's 15 or 20 of you, you'd be right at the fucking doorway because if that motherfucker comes through the door, that's where the fight takes place. Yeah. If I'm 20 feet away behind a thin, hollow metal frame that can bullets can go through very easily... I'm in a losing fight, but nobody's teaching them that. And that's where we're trying to come in. What's well, the narrative I would take it as far as the national scene, right? There's nothing that is speaking to them what you're saying. It's yeah, well, it's because they don't want to hear it. Right. Right. Living we don't bubble. want we don't want law enforcement. You go back to Alice, right? Alice did a good job of getting into a lot of organizations because when they go into it, they knew they had to get through red tape. You don't want, we don't want as a society, I don't say you because you guys are like-minded with me, but we don't want as a society people, a law enforcement officer who is supposed to be peace and represent justice and things like that. We don't want them to come through the door and say, hey, look, I'm not getting there for 10 minutes. So until I get there, you better be ready to bludgeon the fuck out of this guy until he's Mm -hmm. dead because it's the only way you're going to survive the situation. We don't want to hear that. So we tell them no. Anytime anybody says anything along those lines. Wait for the authorities to show up. Anytime anybody says that, we chastise them, right? Yeah. Right. So it's, it's police abuse. Well, that motherfucker deserved to get abused sometimes. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not wrong sometimes. There's but good I'm just cops, saying, back cops, whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But it's we're not letting them speak the truth. We want them to tell us what to do, but we don't want to have to do anything physical and demanding. And so from a law enforcement perspective, what are they telling us? They're telling us to get somewhere and hide because if I show up on an active shooter scene, the people that are hiding in a corner, I don't shoot. And the person standing and running around, I shoot. That makes my job way easier, right? So if you're going to tell me it's my job to protect you as a law enforcement officer, I'm going to tell you what to do to make my job easier. And that's where we're getting screwed over as a society. And it's working the same exact way with EMS. EMS can be on scene within three minutes, but they're not going to walk in there and plug a gunshot wound on your body until bad guy's dead. So right. EMS shows up in three minutes, but they don't get to you for an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's just a problem. We really want to teach it. And that's the, whole, that's the whole concept of the book. I don't give answers in the book. I lay out in the book the situations. I lay out your options, and I tell you what to do to get better to train at them. It's, you know, we were, we were talking the last time we did this on the podcast about how when I talk to you, I just, I don't, this is what I did, right? Here's some ideas. Here's some thoughts. This might work for you. It might not, right? I'm not you. Figure your right. shit out. <laughs> but here 
is the process. Here are the things. Here is the way that I would maybe approach it. These are the options that kind of go into it. But the reality of the situation is everybody's going to be a little different. Right. You're given the tools and it's up to them to use them. And they've got to have to. Yeah, Yeah, you have to. The book, the first, literally the first line in the book is, this book is not enough. <laughs> like literally, it's just it. It's a guide. That's all it is. It's a guide. You have to go out and physically train. You have to practice the tourniquets. You have to carry them. Right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about having a tourniquet in your truck. If you're in the mall, your tourniquet in your truck's not even helping you. So now how do I get a tourniquet on somebody's person in a way that they're actually going to carry it? Everyday right? carrying. Yeah. yeah. So are you going to carry an ankle kit? Do you wear pants off? And an ankle kit's a really good answer for that. We have some good, we have some good ideas for ankle kits. Are you not going to carry an ankle kit because it's cumbersome or you're wearing shorts? It's hot as shit, whatever the hell it is. Okay, cool. What's another option? Uh, John, the guy who started our ICC course, he uh, he literally on his own, which I didn't even know he could sew, uh, he literally sewed these pocket EDC kits and he can fit a SWAT tourniquet, compressed gauze, and a, and a little thing of flattened duct tape in which I can now cover basic a, tourniquet a needs, yep. basic things there, and then also chest seals, yep. right? I can improvise a chest seal. Like that's fucking brilliant. And I can actually get somebody to go, look, it fits in your back pocket and it's slimmer than a Costanza wallet, right? (laughs) Yeah, I just made a Seinfeld reference. So, but it's, you know, it's not enough to know how to apply a tourniquet. You have to have a tourniquet on you, right? So how do we do that? And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give people options. Options they'll actually do, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You know, I would, the answer to everybody is, you know, by the time you turn 12, you better start actively training firearms, offensive knife, self-defense, how to plug gunshot wounds, trauma care, CrossFit, lift weights. But nobody's going to fucking do that. Most mm-hmm. people aren't. So, okay, how does the reasonable person add this into their life? How do you take care of your kid, right? Give them those life skills. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, you're again, you say a 13-year-old can apply a tourniquet. Every 13-year-old should know how to apply a tourniquet. It's not a complicated process. Not with a you know a cat tourniquet or a soft tea tourniquet. It's it's basic operation. Well, I Put it on. Use a cat tourniquet because that's what I carry in my yeah, truck. <laughs> exactly. So you put them on. It's soft tea's the same way. Yeah. But put it on. Pull it really fucking tight and twisty twisty until mm-hmm. the blood stops. Like it, it's just not a complicated. It's process. like a faucet. You don't need to be a fucking doctor to do that, right? But that's the problem. We've we we have this. We've been given everything, right? So we have fucking convenience stores and we have this and everything's packaged. We don't have to do anything anymore. We're back in the day when you had a farm and you had to fucking took you an hour and a half to get to town anyway. You know, you knew how to take care of basic first aid. You knew how to grow your own goddamn Yeah, because you died. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't, you died. That's why they lived to 40. Right? So, you know, it's, it's you, we can enjoy the convenience of things, but you should still have the skills to be able to do it. You know, the, the joke I always tell people is if the power shut off tomorrow, would you, I'm not saying would you be happy or not? Would you be able to survive? And the fact of the matter is, ninety percent of the population in the U.S. would not, just wouldn't. You just die off so fast, right? Yeah. You know. So go hunting at least once. Know that you could kill food and, and make it if you absolutely needed to. You know. Yeah. Know how to plant and garden. Know how to fix a fucking truck and change your own damn oil. Uh, That's you know, what we do. Fitness. What well, we're yeah. saying. We're getting ready for the zombie apocalypse. That's yes, it, man. Yeah. You got it. And you look good naked. <laughs> so you do these seminars. Yes. And you, you know, there's obviously the video offerings and things like that. So where where did the idea from the book? Where did the idea for the book come from? Yeah. So a couple of different uh, places that happened to, I think, just ideas that converged at the same time. Uh, there was a gentleman named uh, Amari Broussard, good friend of mine, and he's the first guy that ever. I kind of looked at, uh, he was looking at me and he was also looking at my business partner, Rob at the time. And, uh, he, he was talking about how like everybody in this, we were in a certification, he was running it. And he said, everybody in this room should write a book period. He goes, everybody. And this is, this is, 
you were talking about like, why the hell would I be on a podcast? Nobody's going to listen right. to me dating. Right. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, he goes, every single person in the room should write a book. And we all kind of had the same exact reaction. Like, ah, like funny. That's you know adorable. And he goes, no, he goes, that's bullshit. He goes, I don't care if you write the same exact book that somebody else wrote, you'll reach completely different people and you'll say it in a completely different way. Everybody in this room should write a book. If you're going to be an instructor and you feel like you can stand in front of a group of people and make their life better, then why can't you fucking do that to somebody that is five states away through essentially this medium, which is going to be a book, right? And and again, whether it's a book or a podcast or a video, whatever it is, like there's no reason. Stop being a dick. Stop putting yourself down. You can do this. Mm -hmm. And so he was the first guy that ever put the idea of a book in my mind. Uh, And I I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed uh, like little kind of short little blog posts and things like that. Um, but I kept telling myself, I don't have time to write a book. There's no fucking way I'm going to write a book in any way, shape or form. Who the hell is going to read it? There's guys that have been teaching active shooter stuff forever. Why would I do that? And, and even though we were riding this, you know, wave of acknowledgement, I still was, you know, I'm just the fucking kid from, you know, Columbus. Who, who mm-hmm. the hell is going to listen to me? And, uh, it was actually a combination of, I'd been listening to a lot of Jocko Willink at the time, which... If anybody is following Jocko Willink in any way, shape, or form, it's kind of like a no excuses, own it, you know, just fucking do it mentality, which I love. Um, and he's got this big thing where he wakes up at 4 a.m. every day, takes a picture of his watch, and makes everybody feel like shit because they're still sleeping. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just like and he does it every morning. Like just takes, And then he apologizes if it says 420, slept in today. Fuck me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so he, he, you know, was posting that and I was like, oh, that's legit. He's getting up, you know, and then I had a buddy, a really good friend of mine and Broad knows him, but Drew Dillon, he's, he runs Project Lift, which is part of our building here. And we were out to coffee. We do like a coffee date every now and again. And, uh, he literally was like, well, why don't you just get up an hour earlier? And I think he kind of said it jokingly, but in the same regard, he was like, well, if you can't find time during the day, wake up earlier. It was a challenge. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I don't think he thought I would do it. And I woke up starting January fucking second. I woke up every morning one hour earlier than I had to. So if I had to get up at seven, I got up at six. If I had to get up at six, I got up at five. I had to get up at five, I got up at four. Every day. Never missed a day. Not even for the motherfucking Arnold. You're all welcome. My ass was tired <laughs> as shit. I was wondering why you're so yeah. grumpy. I was tired as shit when I, I got to give there. him a hug. Like, he flipped me off. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, right? So, but I, w- I would get up and I would, I, so I wrote every day. And it was the, I, I had also been reading a really good book. If anybody gets in, in, in whether you're into writing or anything, but, uh, um, the war of art, right? So everybody knows the art of war, but the war of art is a really good book by Stephen Pressfield, super quick read. But if you have an idea in your head of something that you want to do and you want to get done and you don't like you, you're convinced you shouldn't do it buy that fucking book, hmm. buy that book and, and read it every day. Uh, the, the war of art. And, um, it's again, like I said, it's a super short read and essentially the whole entire book is every time you sit down to do something and he's talking about writing specifically because every time you sit down to do something, the reason you don't do it is because of resistance. And he identifies resistance as like this physical fucking being that pulls you down from being productive. And so he identifies what resistance is. He identifies, uh, how resistance affects you when you're trying to go. And then the last part is how to beat resistance. And, uh, the, one of the pages that I literally, I took a picture of, I was reading it in Mexico in, uh, over Thanksgiving. We spent Thanksgiving two years ago in Mexico and I was reading this book and I took a picture of the page and it said, uh, every writer knows that writing is, is, or, uh, that, you know, writing about their topic is not the hardest part. Sitting down and writing is the hardest part. 
And it's so fucking true because if you just sit the fuck down and start typing, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. But you'll sit there and you'll go like, I don't have any ideas. I don't know what to do. What am I going to type? What's this first sentence going to be? Just fucking start typing. And that's exactly what I did every single morning. I wake up every single morning. I wake up my hour early. I go in. I do my same routine. So I go take a shower, go to the bathroom, make a cup of coffee. And then I sit down. I got one fucking hour. And I'm going to write for an hour. I don't care what it is. And I just started typing. And I did that every single morning until I felt like I was done. And then I got to that point where I felt like I was done. And then you started the editing process. Mm -hmm. And you go back through it. And you started reading it. Uh, And I joked around with my wife because one of my 2017 goals was to read 24 books. And at the end of the year, I was like, man, I only read 18. Does it count if I read my own book nine times? <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, and then you just go through and you just start chipping away at it. And then I would send a, you know, I send a manuscript off to a couple of people that I thought were part of the demographic I wanted to hit, uh, which wasn't the demographic you'd think. I wanted people that didn't do self-defense. I don't, I don't, I don't need the people that already get it. You don't need to sell a book to me. Yeah. We understand. Yeah. I want the fucking mom. And the, the greatest thing that I've had to date is once the book got released. So the first person that I sent it out to was, uh, was actually Drew's mom. And it was, it was, it was really, it was, it was cracking me up. Cause what I did was I, every day I would, I would take a picture of me typing and I would just say like what I was typing about. And people started being like, holy shit, I'm excited for this book. Right. And, uh, Drew, Drew was, he was like, my mom was really interested in what's going on. And I was like, oh, like, that's awesome. Um, you know, w- would she be one of my proofreaders? And her feedback was exactly what I wanted. She said, I didn't realize how much I wasn't prepared for this and how simple it could be to prepare for it. She was your target. And it was, I mean, she said that and I was like, okay, I, I did what I needed to do with this. I, you know, I, I tweaked a couple of things around. I took some suggestions from a couple of the proofreaders, but but that's really all it was, man. I just, I woke up every day for an hour and, and I typed and that mm-hmm. was it, you know? And I, and I, the whole entire time I thought it was shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think everybody gets that. You always, you always want to perfect it. And then I kept being a little anal and being a little anal. And then it just one day I was like, you know what? I'm never going to be done. I'm just done. You know? Mm-hmm. And I put it out there and I said, I'll get it out there. And as feedback comes in, I'll do a second edition. I'll revise whatever I need to revise and it'll get better and it'll grow legs. Um, but writing was easy. You know, sitting down, once you got typing, once you typed the first like 50 words, writing was easy. Well, I argue that because you're passionate about this with your why being to help that soccer mom that once you sat down and dedicated that time, everything just flowed. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, remember what I said jokingly in the front of it, like the easiest part of writing a book is spending nine years studying the topic before you write the book. And like, Mm. and I accept that. Um, But, but think about it, like you could probably sit down and write a book on your military experience. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You could sit down and write a book on programming. You could sit down and write a book on DJing. Like it's, if you have the knowledge in there, the hardest part is just doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. Like and I would say know, believe it in yourself, right? Cause you, yeah, you, but I, I would argue that if you just fucking do it, <laughs> well, not like legitimately. You know, so like, many things in life would yeah, happen if you it. just do right. it. Yeah. Who know? gives but, a shit if you believe in yourself? Like I'm if just you're, saying, <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean that. Definitely right, believe off. in yourself. Yeah. But no, what I'm saying is you, you, you have all these self doubts. Who would want to listen to me? Who, why would I do this? No one's going to read it. No one's going to buy, it but my friends it's, I think the self doubt will hold you down in every facet yeah. of life from business to writing a book, to programming, to teaching, to yeah. it, everything. It's, you got to get rid of the self doubt. And, and like you said, shut up, yeah. sit down, do it. Just fucking do it. It's, you know, wh- where, what I was saying was, or at least the way that I look at it. And again, I'm different. I told you earlier, I'm a hard line, right? I'm, I am a very, 
the way that I take things in is very, I'm, I'm very abrupt. Like I like abrupt kind of looks at things and you know, my analogy to that is, or I guess my approach to that is like, okay, in your mind, you're sitting there thinking like, who gives a, like, who's going to care about me writing this? My rebuttal to that is who fucking cares who listens to it? Just do it. Right. You know what I mean? Cause if you don't do it, you'll never know, you know? So you, maybe you don't believe in yourself the whole time you're sitting there going, this is so fucking dumb. This is it. <laughs> I don't care. Ship it. Right. right? And, and, uh, uh, I, I think it was Seth Godin. Who's another one of the guys that I follow a lot of his stuff. Uh, I think he was the one that I read and I, I can't remember exactly what book I'm going to slaughter. I've read a couple of his books and I read his blog, but he was the one that when I started writing articles, got me to write articles essentially because what it came down to was he was like people all too often, they'll do a project, they'll take it all the way up to production and then they won't ship it. He goes, it's the dumbest thing in the world. It makes no sense because you won't know if it's good or if it's bad and how well you can make it and things like that if you don't ship it. He Mm -hmm. said, so my challenge to everybody is you set yourself a deadline, you do the deadline, and no matter what has happened at that point, you ship it. And so when I started writing just the articles, little blog posts, I told myself, I'm going to set a clock for 15 minutes and I'm going to write. And whatever is on the page at 15 minutes, I would immediately post to Facebook, immediately. No edit, no going back, doing grammar, nothing. At 15 minutes, whatever was on that page went onto Facebook. And what ended up happening was it allowed me to just write Mm -hmm. and to not try to make it perfect and to just dump the shit that was in my brain onto paper or onto a computer screen and then put it onto the internet and send it out. And that was probably one of the best things in the world. And that was one of the biggest things when it came down to me going in and actually pulling the trigger on publishing the book and actually pulling the trigger on writing, which is just fucking shit. Who cares? And it doesn't do good. It doesn't do good. And like when Mo presented this podcast, when I was like, who would listen? Right. Mm-hmm. That was my initial response. And then that there's resistance. Right. So then I, I'm now I'm, it's in my head all day. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Now I'm thinking, I'm like, did he really just ask me out? Like, <laughs> are we having a podcast? No. So I would, I went home that night and I'm like, all right, well, you know what? Even, even if I can just talk, to relieve my event and relieve stress, mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. And then the next day it went to, if my members just listen to it, I'm yeah. happy with that, right? And then now that's trickled into six months of content and we're here at your place. Like, I don't care who listens to yeah. it right? in, in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I do, but I don't. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm talking about things I like to talk about, right? I've been given an outlet because of Mo's idea, right? And I've accepted it. I'm just going to put it out there and this isn't, this isn't me. Right. But I like to do this and who, who, who listens is that's all that matters. Well, and you'll get better because of it, because what's going to end up happening is like, okay, so you sit down, like I, I know just from talking to you and how long we've known each other, like I know you're passionate about programming. We've had fucking three hour phone conversations <laughs> about programming, but you can come into it and you can start talking about it. And Mo's bouncing ideas off you and he's asking questions and all of a sudden you're going like, Oh fuck, I never thought about that. Right. right? Exactly. And just by allowing yourself an outlet to just spew mm-hmm. whatever the hell's in your brain and then him to be able to bounce back off of it and things like that. Like you, you pick up on things that you would have never even thought before. So you end up being better because of it. I, I truly believe that I got better at teaching these seminars because when I sat down to write the information, I knew that I wanted it to be at a, an easy reading level. So I literally kept it. I had a, a little tracker that monitored your words and it told you like what grade reading mm-hmm. level it was. And my goal was to keep it at like nine, 10th grade, mm-hmm. right? Super low reading level. I wanted it to be easy to read and I wanted it to be able to be clear and precise to a point where 
people understood the concepts and the ideas, but they understood that it's possible for you to be able to do it, but you're going to have to put the work in to do it. And because of that, I started teaching differently because it forced me a different, a different presentation of the information. And reading the book, I felt like you were talking to me as I'm reading it. And, And I think that in itself makes it easier for someone to read. That's legit. That's good to know. Yeah. So, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things like, even if you write, like, even if I wrote this book and 50 people bought it, you know, that's 50 50 lives. Yeah. It's 50 people that didn't get into it. And it's such a, it's, it's a lot heavier on that one. It's the one thing like, you know, you can cut a couple of corners here and there, but when you get out there and tell people like, Hey, the worst instance that could possibly ever happen in your life, I'm going to give you guidance. Like you, you have to be diligent about the information that's in it. And I became a, a better person, a better teacher, a better father, a better husband um, as I'm writing this. Because I'm, I'm writing in the, in the back part of it. I'm writing about creating a plan and talking to your family about it. And I'm sitting down there and I'm going, I have made the automatic assumption that my wife already knows this stuff because she's a self-defense instructor and because I talk about it all fucking day. But I have never sat down and said, if this happens, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting on the other end of the book going, right. y'all motherfuckers need to be doing this, right? You know what I mean? And it's just, you go in, you know, I went, holy shit. And it made me have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It made me sit there and An go, important conversation. Yeah, you know what I mean? And we, and then that stirred into, like I was, you know, I have, I have a couple guns in the house and we got the kids and Maverick's up and moving around a little bit. And so, it, you know, the conversation, Kim and I, I forget what we were talking about, but it was about the firearms. I said, oh yeah, I plan on doing this. And she's like, oh, you didn't tell me that. And I went, oh fuck, I never told you. I never told you how I plan on securing the weapons, where I was going to secure them, right. what the codes would be to get into this. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it started making me realize like, shit, I travel a lot. And if mm-hmm. I'm out of the house, you're out of the equation. Yeah. If I have a firearm staged near Maverick's room, because that's where you're going to go. Yeah. I know how to get that damn gun and you don't, I know you know how to fire it. I taught you, but you know, so it, it just, it causes, it made me a better person writing it. And, and, you know, the objective in the long run is, is to make other people, better people come from it. No, you're making me better. <laughs> hey, you're you making are me too, definitely. Bro. You're making me better too, oh, man, brother. Yeah. Yeah. You're making him so good at producing because he's like got to manage this thing, right? <laughs> he's got to make Brody look really good on on Mike. I'm just gonna sit down. <laughs> you're doing great. So, yeah. kind of bringing this all to a close. So, the video that you talked about, where can yeah. our listeners find that? Uh, so, if you look up uh, the exact links, a little little janky, but if you look well, up, we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, if you look up fighting back uh, on the blaze. Uh, you'll find that. And it's a little three-minute video. And then they did a couple of follow-up videos with it. Um, so that'll be done. Um, and then we're actually filming. I have uh, the guys that I filmed our um, uh, Krav Maga DVD with, our self-defense DVD in Boston. They're actually flying in next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to film all of the drills that we normally do inside of our active shooter. So we will actually have a DVD resource that people can look and actually see what we get into. I've I've, I've fought back from that a while Uh I fought against that, I should say, for a while just because I didn't, like, I just, it's such a hands-on course. I didn't want to, like, cheapen it by having to go out and do a DVD. Mm-hmm. But it started making me realize, like, people are asking about the drills. I need to have some videos for the drills. So we're going to film, uh, it'll be four or five DVDs, and it'll cover everything. It's going to cover the hands-on drills we do for barricading, concepts for barricading. It's going to cover a lot of hands-on drills for fighting. It's going to cover trauma care. So there's going to be a, an entire 40- or 50-minute uh, video just on plugging gun wounds, chest seals. How do you build a med kit? How do you build a med kit that you're actually going to freaking carry? Um, how do you supply things there? So that'll be really good. John's going to get involved with that. 
Um, so hopefully we'll have that out in the next three or four months as well. So that'll be really good. Cool. And as far as the courses that you offer here at your facility here mm-hmm. in Hilliard, how can our listeners get a hold of that? Yeah. So the easiest way uh, to track essentially what we're doing with all the courses, uh, you can either visit my website, which is aaronjanetti.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-J-A-N-N-E-T-T-I.com. Uh, or EndeavorDCF.com backslash active shooter. So that's E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-D-C-F as in dog, cat, fish, uh, .com backslash active shooter. Uh, and then that actually is our landing page. That shows all the courses that we're doing across the country, uh, including the ones in. It's got all of our contact information. It's got some of the uh, articles, videos, news reports. It's got the videos you're talking okay. about. Um that's all on there. It's got videos on uh, trauma care. It's got videos on fighting. It's got videos on using guns. Rob Pincus did a couple of things there. Uh, Tony Blower. We have a couple of Tony Blower videos about conquering fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of really good resources there. There's also a mailing list you can sign up for. Usually about once a month, um, I'll send out a newsletter that'll kind of go with it. Like, hey, here's some upcoming courses. Here's some resources. Here's some thoughts. Here's some things that may have happened as far as violence and things like that go. So that's a really good resource. And then as far as getting you into their facility, like mm-hmm. if they're not here locally in Ohio, it, it, do they, what, is that capacity also in those links that you just described? Yeah, so uh, the contact information will be in there uh, as far as our email goes. Um, and then essentially what we do is we have a baseline for what it's going to cost as far as equipment and expenses go. Uh, and then it's just it's just going to come down to custom as far as travel. So if you know, obviously it's going to be easier for me to drive two hours north than mm-hmm. it is for me to get on a plane and go to California. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so you'll contact through there. Uh, if you need, you know, that email address, you want to reach me directly. It's just A-A-R-O-N at EndeavorDCF.com. Uh, and that's going to be my direct email. Awesome. All right. That brings this episode to a close. Once again, thanks a lot, Aaron, for uh, letting us back in this place. You didn't kick us out from the last time. <laughs> they tried. I they tried. Yeah. I tried, but I tried I resisted. to lock the door. I forgot. <laughs> I have too many doors. To he tased door. me. <laughs> All right, and I guess we're done for this episode. This week's call to action. If you could send something to our social media, ask an Aaron a question, uh, anything related to anything in his book or anything he said in this podcast or the previous episode where he was on us just giving us his life story, please leave it on there, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We don't have Snapchat. Thank you. (laughs) Don't snap me. Don't snap snap me, bro. You don't know what you're going to get back. (laughs) That's fair enough. All right. That, that brings this episode to a close. I'm Modingo and I'm out. See you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the One More Rip Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at One More Rip Podcast or on Twitter at Can I Get One More or shoot us an email at Can I Get One More at gmail.com. We, like, we went to Israel uh, the second time I went and visited Israel. We were in Tel Aviv, and we went. We had this fucking place. It was like the last night we were there, and we were like, "Hey, we're looking for dinner." And they do that whole thing where like they have a cafe. They will walk out in front and be like, "You come eat." Like, yeah, you know. What I mean? When I was in Qatar, it was like that too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so he was like, "I will give you best dinner you've ever had." And we're like, "All right, great, awesome. This is sweet." This guy took amazing care of us. Uh, we ate freaking chicken and fish and all that kind of shit. He brings out this like platter of fucking meat and we're just like chewing through it. And he goes, yes, you know, Oh, is that good? Yes. He goes, okay. That is something, something intestines. I was like, fuck. And he's <laughs> like, you know, try this. It's a goose testicle. And I'm like, God damn it. I'm going to eat it. Because whatever. They ate that. And then there was, I mean, we had like, you know, everything like penis ball and testicles. I was like, oh God. 
but it was fantastic. All of this. Yeah, like the whole area. No like meat. The whole I had animal region. crutch. Yeah. And uh, and then we finished <laughs> We finished up at the end of it, and I was like, man, that was a phenomenal meal. Like, that was incredible. He took really good care of us. Well, of course he fucking took care of us. It was like $112 a person. <laughs> wow. We went, oh. I thought you were going to tell me it was like five, 50 cents. No. <laughs> Hell no. Not in Tel Aviv, man. It's expensive.